how did this guy in another country know about our band? Yeah, it was just like the weirdest thing, just out of the blue, you know? It was like, how do you know about this? <laughs> Matt Crawford is just one of those people that constantly has crazy stuff happen to him. Like that time in Costa Rica he was sprayed with a bunch of shaving cream while boarding a bus, or the time a street musician insisted he needed a Corona to go with the tacos that Matt had just bought for him. He's also one of those rare people that balances deep academic book smarts with wacky creative flair. He's currently an associate professor of history at Kent State University in Ohio. People who knew me as an academic, you, which you don't normally think of professors playing in heavy metal bands, although there there are more than you would think. I always thought it was funny to like show people that like, hey, this is who I used. This was the world I used to live in, you know. I first met Matt Crawford in the early '90s as a sophomore in high school in New Jersey. For those of you Canadians playing along, that's 10th grade. Oh, I'm sorry, grade 10. I was in the band geek crowd, and let's just say he ran in a different circle. We were both in bands, but my band had saxophones and a tuba, while his had face-melting heavy metal guitars, leather, and long hair to match. Just to rub it in, both bands were immortalized in the video yearbook. My band playing in the dorky high school AV studio, and his with footage from his recent metal show in New York City. But rockstar dreams have to start somewhere. So my earliest memories of music are my dad playing guitar. I remember going to weddings and I think maybe a couple of festivals that they played at or parties and stuff. He played in a wedding band called Formal Affair. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, playing weddings in the 80s. So I, I definitely remember seeing my dad playing on stage. I remember seeing him play at home. And although I don't remember this, I I have a picture of me probably like four or five years old with these like giant headphones on. And my dad is like playing music for me from his record player. So yeah, you know, that was how I got introduced to music. My dad never pressured me to play music. So it wasn't like, you know, oh, this is the family business kind of thing. Here's your ruffled tuxedo. You got to play music. Right, right, yeah. Your aquamarine tuxedo and your white ruffled shirt, like, (laughs) passing it on. The sacred (laughs) suit of armor. (laughs) Suit of musical armor. We're going to start with this humiliator's tape. You have to start somewhere. So as early as second or third grade, Matt started scraping together some friends to form a band. And that band was called The Humiliators. And believe it or not, I still have a cassette deck to play it on, although I don't remember how to use it. Ah, there we go. Playing a lot of oldies songs like Wipeout, some Beatles tunes, and Guns N' Roses, Poison, Warrant, stuff like that. But we would play like, you know, family picnics and stuff like that. We were big on the picnic circuit, (laughs) let me tell you. (laughs) We played a couple of dances in junior high. Yeah, that that was kind of a fun band. After some time, Matt and his friends had 
outgrown the Humiliators and were looking to put together a new band project. The Humiliators drummer Gabe Broman joined on, as well as a new addition, Chris Fish, who was going to play bass. I remember we used to play like Nirvana songs, so we would like get together and jam and play Smells Like Teen Spirit. Metallica, the Black Album came out, so I had gotten interested in heavy metal at that time, and so we were like playing some Metallica songs, and we needed a lead singer, so I ended up doing that. With this new focus, the band Darkness was formed. The band was then looking for a lead guitarist to fill out the sound. They tried some local people and even held auditions, but nothing really worked out until they met Charlie Kroll. He was actually from New York City, uh, whereas the rest of us all went to high school together in, in New Jersey. And I met Charlie at uh, the Guitar Summer Workshop. We were both interested in Metallica. and He was a really talented guitar player. You know, I was just totally blown away and somehow managed to convince him to join Darkness. He would come down to New Jersey every other weekend for band practice. I would often go up to New York City to hang out with him. <laughs> Somehow that like worked, I don't know. We had four guys that were really committed to it. I mean, you know, we practiced every weekend practically, which for a bunch of uh, high school teenage boys to do that of their own recognizance. I mean, this wasn't you know, it wasn't like my dad was like, Matt, you got to schedule practice. Like, we wanted to do it. We were all driven to do it. Darkness was committed to practicing and honing their sound. Practicing is great, but eventually the band set its sights on some big, prestigious gigs. I remember playing a Harvest Festival on, like, a flatbed truck in East Amwell, you know, and, like, nobody listened to us because, like, who wants to hear a heavy metal band playing original music, right, at a Harvest Festival? Or, like, I think we played Pennington Day. We did some battles of the bands. I think we probably played at the high school maybe once or twice. That wasn't the place for us to find an audience. The band played on in search of an audience and continued to refine their sound and get better and better gigs. I would say probably our most successful gig, I would say, was we, we played a gig at CBGB's in New York City, which, of course, a very famous club from the, from the 60s, you know, folk music, and then it also became really important on the punk scene. That, in my mind, was sort of like the apex of our career as a band. We had gotten to play, and again, sparse attendance, but a pretty good audience. The show went well enough that people were starting to take notice and they were asked to come back to play a second show. Charlie's brother-in-law, who had some connections in the entertainment industry, was like kind of our manager. And so he had arranged for at least one record company representative, I don't remember what label, but it was like a, I mean, it was a real record company, to come to the second CBGB's gig. I would say there was a point where it definitely felt like we could maybe make it famous. For Darkness, like so many other bands, 
rock star dreams didn't seem to be in the cards. After the height of the second CBGB's show, the band's gigs sort of tapered off and fizzled. We did play some clubs, you know, but even there we didn't really like get a following because this was like, I mean, this was before the internet, but we didn't have a website, you yeah, know, we didn't nobody did. have anything yeah. like that. So one of the last gigs we played was at some club in New Jersey. Like we ended up going on maybe like midnight or something like that. I mean, we played and there was like hardly anybody there. And then we were like packing up our gear. And I remember walking across, like there was a dance floor right in front of the stage where like some people had been moshing and stuff. I remember walking across the floor and I remember I'm like a 17, 18 year old kid walking across the floor just trying to like get out the door and go to the van and pick up a duffel bag or something and this like full grown man who is probably at least a foot taller than me just like smashes into me like there's no music playing there was no mosh pit he just did it you know but we drove an hour to play this gig in the middle of the night that was basically like a practice because nobody was there and then I got to deal with this guy like body checking me while I'm trying to go <laughs> pack up my stuff you know I just remember thinking to myself, I am so done with this. So I think we all kind of knew it wasn't going to go much farther than that. And nobody was like, no, guys, we got to keep doing this. You know, it was just like, oh, okay, you know, like it feels like time to do something else. In the end, Darkness released two albums. 1992's Shadow of Insanity and 1994's Drawn to One, before the band withered and went their separate ways. Following Darkness, Matt dabbled in a few other bands and even joined the band I was in with the saxophones and tuba after the original guitarist graduated. In the years following high school, he explored guitar in all its forms and immersed himself in the acoustic guitar which feels like a far cry from his heavy metal roots. Twenty-five years later, Darkness was a distant echo that had faded in his life. But it seems that it hadn't completely stopped resonating. I get this message from a guy in, in Italy. I think his name was like Alessandro. Hey, are you the Matt Crawford from Darkness? <laughs> do you have any CDs? You know, I'd like to buy a, a darkness CD. And yeah, it was just like the weirdest thing, just, just out, of, out of the blue. I told him, uh, let me set up an eBay account and I'll, I'll sell you an album. And I think at that point, he said to me something like, oh, you know, I have another friend who wants to buy an album and this guy's in Russia or something. Do you have any others, you know? So I have this box of CDs you know, I'm, I'm like, well, I can, I can sell a few. I listed four CDs on my eBay account, four Darkness CDs for $20 a pop because I was like, you know, who's gonna, who is going to want to pay more than that? I mean, you know, like I didn't even know if they were willing to pay that much, you know. And so I sent a message to the guy in Italy. You know, I just want you to know I put up four CDs on eBay. You know, here's the link. Those four CDs sold out in five minutes. And wow. if I recall, I think they went to four different people. There was a guy in Italy. I think, again, there was another guy in Russia. Um, there was a couple people in the U.S. 
as soon as they sell out, I called my wife and I was like, hey, uh, you know, all the Darkness CDs sold out. And she says to me, you idiot, you should have auctioned them, you know, which I, it didn't even occur to me because I was like, I'll be lucky to get 20 bucks for this. Right? Yeah. So I was at that time willing to sell one more CD. And so I put the last CD up for auction. You know, I think the starting price was 20 bucks. I'm watching over the next week or however long the auction period is. Price is going up. Price is going up. Price is going up. A week later, I sell that CD for like $220. And just like blew my mind, you know? Yeah. I, I actually, in, in all honesty, I actually felt a little guilty because I was like, I feel very proud of Darkness. The experience and the music that we made is incredibly valuable to me. I mean, there's no dollar value to that experience, you know? And we were a good band. I mean, you know, I think we put out a good album. But I also felt like, you know, we're this unknown band from New Jersey that really had no following. It's not like we really changed the genre or something, you know? And, and so I felt a little guilty about selling a single CD to someone for $200, you know? Um, and like talked to some friends and they were like, well, whatever, you know, if that's what the person's willing to pay, then, you know, it's, it's their choice. Like you didn't make them pay that yeah, much money. It's true. So I sold that CD for $217. Um, the sale closed uh, right before I had to go teach a class. And I was just like so in shock and like the adrenaline of that. And so I went to my class, which was this large lecture class with like a hundred students in it. And I don't normally like share personal details with my students, but I was just like, I just have to tell you guys, I was in this heavy metal band in high school and I just sold one of our CDs for over $200, you know? And the students were just like, we got to hear it. Like play us some of the songs, you know? And did you? Which I did, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I did, yeah. So yeah, I played a couple of songs and like one of the students came up to me after class and was like, can I get one of your CDs? <laughs> That'll be $400. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I was like, I don't want to hear about this on your, I don't want you any complaints on your student evaluations. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, it was just this crazy experience. As I learned later, Alessandro was part of this global network of heavy metal collectors that are connected through the internet, through websites like Discogs, where people sell and trade albums and stuff. And he wasn't the only one that was aware of Darkness. I learned later that Darkness had this reputation. Our albums were known for being this really rare, independent heavy metal album you know so it, for people who are collectors especially people who want to collect everything our albums were valuable because they're like impossible to find you know mostly the people who are buying these albums for this insane price they either wanted to have for bragging rights you know like hey i've got the darkness album and you don't or <laughs> uh or they wanted to trade so you know i sold like a year later i sold i don't know four or five more albums for, for not quite as much money, but, you know, they all sold for over $100. 
And like I sold it to somebody in Japan, some more people in Europe, some other people in the U.S. You know, and they always want to know how many CDs I have, and so they'll always ask, you know, can I buy three? Can I buy five? You know, <laughs> right. And again, I think it's just like this collector community. I still occasionally get contacted over Facebook or actually over Gmail. Uh, people looking to buy albums. So I would say, like in the last year, year and a half, I've maybe gotten two inquiries for people looking to buy albums. Five or six years before that, when my dad passed away and we cleaned out my parents' house and I found all these boxes of Darkness CDs, I was like, "What am I going to do with these things?" I took probably maybe like 150 CDs or something, and just. Gave it to Goodwill along with the other stuff from my parents' house that we were donating. So there's some, there's some like Salvation Army in Trenton that is like overfull with、uh, Darkness CDs. I love the guitar as an instrument. I love any of its forms of playing. To me, obviously, music is very special because. The long history that I have with it, the connection that it means for me,、uh, the connection that I have to my dad, who's now passed away, and I actually have his guitar and stuff. But playing music is, for me, unlike any other human activity. And yeah, it really is this this kind of dimension of the human experience that is really unique, and it seems to have very deep roots, you know. In lots of human communities and societies, and because it is an art form, it's a form of communication and interaction. If you're playing with other musicians, you're interacting with them through the music, but even the audience, you know. But also when you're just playing by yourself and just kind of messing around on the guitar, or the piano, or the drums, and anybody can sit down. And if they don't know an instrument, they can like write a little tune or something, you know, or find. Some drumbeat or melody that kind of speaks to them, right? And what's fascinating to me is like, I mean, I know there are people out there who know music really well, and they can kind of like, you know, like Beethoven did or whatever, sit down and like write a melody out in music and stuff like that, right? But there are a lot of people that just they just do it, you know. And I've had so many times playing guitar where I'm just. Noodling around, and then all of a sudden, just drop into some chord progression or some melody or rhythm or something that just feels like something from outside of me. You know, sort of is like channeling through me. I'm not a religious person, but that for me is like the closest that I get to the sacred or what I would call the divine. You can find out more information about Matt Crawford and Darkness in the show notes for this episode. Maybe you could title the podcast "How Your History Professor Is Saving for Retirement." <laughs> <laughs> the Heavy Metal Pension Program. <laughs>
<laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs>